conversation about um your daughter not that one a different conversation a different conversation okay about being prepared and eventually my time might come (laughs) i'm not sure you know if i ever said that i think i said prior proper planning prevents piss poor performance no, we were talking about how, um, you know, if you're maybe a role player on a team, you still have oh, yeah. to be prepared, and eventually your time might come, right? Yeah, yeah. But what you still was, have to prepare. Was, I will be ready, and perhaps my time will come. Look at you. You say it so much better than no, me, Dad. No, that's what it was, you know, because, <clears throat> you know, as a role player or as a bench warmer, as they, they would call them, you have to be ready, you know, because you never know when something's going to happen in this world, and you're going to have to step up, mm-hmm. you know. And, and it basically happened in Tom Brady's life. You know, when, when Tom Brady was first trying to be a football player, he was not drafted high. He was drafted like 22nd or whatever. I don't remember, but, you know, he Tom Brady is the type of player that, that always worked, whether he was the starter or whether he was the bench warmer or whatever. He was always working to try to be the best that he could be. And when the quarterback before him got hurt, he he had to be ready to step up. And he was ready, obviously. And he was, yes. Yes, I, I think they they won the Super Bowl that year. So so basically, I will be ready and perhaps my time will come. That, that, that doesn't mean that your time will come. That means that you just better be ready. Mm-hmm. I think that even if your time, I think that, Regardless, your time will come if you are ready. I think that maybe there's a higher power to that, right? I think that if you are working hard enough, your time will come because somebody will see how hard you work, regardless. I, I believe that's true. Yes, you know, you always, you always have to work to the best of your ability. And then when that opportunity comes for you to step up, you are ready. 
Yeah. Well, and I think that translate to anything that translates to anything in life, right? Like you have oh, yeah. to be ready. You have to be prepared in your job because you never know when that opportunity may arise. You never know when somebody's going to call in sick and all of a sudden you're going to have to do their job to make the the show go on, right? That's right. You know, so be ready. You know, whatever, whatever you're doing out there, make sure that you are ready to step up. This morning, uh, one of the board members that I work with um, at Moving Arts, she sent a, a video out of, some, of a performance in 2006, and it was at the opera. And in the performing in the performance was, of course, Roger and um, Yako. Roger, Mont- Roger Montoya. Roger Montoya, yes. Um, and um, Yako, who was one of my dance teachers as a little girl, and Haido, who had done a lot of dance workshops with us. They were performing in that performance. And so it was making me think back to when I took classes with Yako and how strict he was and how... I think he really pushed us to be the best dancers we could because he was that teacher that would start the song over and you would be two seconds into the song and somebody would have messed up and he would start it over because those two seconds were incorrect or the last two seconds of the song, you know, somebody messed up and he would say, Carmelita messed up, do it again. And you could do the whole dance 50 times in a class until everybody got it right. And I was I was thinking about that, and then I was thinking about, I guess, myself as a teacher, and maybe my class, the, my classes that I teach, and I was wondering, like, did he stop the music for everybody, or did he only stop the music when he knew that somebody was actually capable of doing it correctly and they were not? Because, right, you have, like, like there are kids in my class that, like, they they still don't have that step. So for me to stop the music would just be embarrassing because they just don't have it yet. And we're working towards that. And when they have it and they're continuing to make errors and they have it, that's different than them just not physically being able to do it right now. Well, you know, Carmelita, that takes me back to a quotation that I remember back in in my time, you know. <clears throat> and the quotation was, do it over and or do it right. You know, and basically that, that, that's what Jocko was trying to do. He was trying to make sure that you did it correctly. And if you didn't do it correctly, you had to do it over. Mm-hmm. And you had to do it over and over and over until you got it right. Yeah, and I, that's practice. Practice makes perfect. Well, or correct not. practice makes perfect because you can practice the wrong thing over and over, but you're practicing the wrong thing, so you have to make sure that you are practicing the correct thing. That's true. That reminds me of the other day when we were talking about a quote that I told you that I had seen. And it said, perfection is impossible, but don't let that stop you from trying. The point isn't to get so good that you stop making mistakes. It's to get so lost in your work that you stop thinking about them. 
Your talents are in you just waiting for you to let go and get out of the way. That's what takes practice. That's purpose. That's worthy of a lifetime of devotion. Perfection is a good goal precisely because it can never be be, be reached. And I guess I thought about that and, you know, obviously a lot of times at this point I'm just repeating dances that I already know and I still enjoy it and sometimes they're perfect and sometimes they're not, but the mistakes, I don't get frustrated about them anymore. It's just like, oh, I made a mistake and you move on and you roll with the punches. And so I'm not saying that I perfected my craft, but it's like I'm not struggling at maybe that piece for right now. But I think that maybe that's different when it comes to athletics versus art. No, not really. I think what happens is anytime you make a mistake, you are the one that knows that you made a mistake and the audience doesn't even know because they're just watching the performance or they're watching the game or they're watching, you know, the opera or whatever. And so really you are the only one that knows that you made a mistake. And and there's nothing wrong with that, you know, because really nobody else knew that you made that mistake. So just keep dancing, yeah. Yeah, even or even with visual art, right? When you're doing a painting and you mess it up, it doesn't necessarily ruin the painting. It just changes the direction, maybe. Correct. You know, like I, I do a lot of woodworking, and the thing about wood is you can always fix it, you know. Mm-hmm. And nobody knows that you made a flaw. In fact, my brother Jim, your Uncle Jim, I think he used to make a mistake on purpose, you know, that only he knew that that mistake was there. And then he sort of challenged the people that bought the product or, or that he was making the piece for to find that mistake, you know. Mm-hmm. And they probably never, ever found it. It's still there. But yeah. they don't know that it's there because he made it on purpose. Yeah. Intentional mistakes. Maybe they're not mistakes then. No, they're not mistakes. They, they're like challenges, you know. Hey, find my mistake. There's you know? some character. Yeah. It's interesting to- to look at art, right? Because you can give somebody the same end goal, the same assignment, and for everybody it's going to be a little bit different. Of course, you know, that that's called individualism, you know? Individuality. Everybody, everybody has their own idea of what, of what, you know, what, what they're doing with that piece of art. You know? Of what beautiful is. Oh, yeah. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Who is your most challenging coach, Dad? My most challenging coach? Yeah, what, was there ever a coach that you felt like made you rise to the next level? No, not really. You know, I, I had different coaches. Harry Harry Simmons, my coach at uh, Pueblo, where we won the national championship. He used to run plays, and each play would go into another play. So it wasn't. It was like a continuous action, never ending. It was a never ending action, of perfection, of plays that we were working on, and I never did follow that philosophy, because you know I studied under different coaches. I think I have a P 
PhD in in coaching because I've done it for like 40 years at, at different levels from junior high to elementary to high school to college to back to elementary to back to junior high. I just coach my teams to be the best that they could be. You know, I think that Coach Chris Clemens, my assistant, he always challenged me to make changes. And and I, I think that, that he was probably one of the most important people that in, in my coaching career that helped me the most. And, you know, you never quit learning, you know. It's what you learn after you know it all that counts. Mm-hmm. You know, that was a quotation by some coach that probably John Wooden. But you as a dancing instructor, you know, you think you know quite a bit, don't you? Of course I know quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, but you really don't know a whole lot because there's always something new that you're going to learn. There's always something to learn and I yeah. think that that's what's so cool about having different teachers. And yeah. going I think to Mexico that Mexico City. Going know. to Mexico City when I when we took that workshop, but I mean my I've had like three core folklorico teachers and I I've learned something different from all of them and all of it was just as valuable as the next person's, you know. And you're going to continue to learn more things from more people if you get out there and motivate yourself. To and even from your students, you can learn so much. Oh, yeah, definitely. You learn, you know, learn from, from everybody. Yeah. How do you get kids to get along that just really don't get along? Because sports are very competitive, right? And so you're, there's, there has to be some sort of a balance between them competing to be a starter them competing to be a front row dancer and them competing so much that they make each other's life miserable, right? That they're not pl- working as a team. So how yeah. do you find that balance? You know, the cream comes up to the top, you know. And what happens is you're going to find dancers that are going to perform. You know, I think with a lot of the the kids that you're dealing with, they don't realize that they are performers. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they they just think, oh well, I got to dance, practice dancing again with Carmelita, and I'm so, you know, she pushes me so hard and whatever. But they don't realize that they are performers, and they have to exemplify something beyond what they really are thinking about. You know, I, I think they're just thinking that, oh, I just have to practice and practice and practice. But you are a performer. Yeah, and you, I think that you can practice to the point that you get it all right. But if you don't have that performance, if you don't add some style, if you don't add some character, that mistake, you don't add it to your piece, then it can be really boring. You have to have some sort of personality. Even watching that performance that I was talking about earlier, it was interesting. It was two men dancing and two women, and the men just stole the show. And it was because of their energy and because of the way their character, the character that they put into the dance, you know? And I think that that's kind of rare. I think usually the women steal the show in Folklorico because they have 
such beautiful skirts and they're taking up more of this space. But I think my eyes were just drawn to watching them because of their energy, I guess. And that was even just through film. (laughs) You know, when I watch you perform, I only watch you perform, you know, because you're my daughter, you know. But yet I do watch the whole performance. And I think that, uh, you know, the the men have the dynamic footwork that, that, you know, it's a flare, you know, it's like, boom, you know, you know, but we're talking about whole, a whole nother realm from athletics to dance, you know, but yet it's the same thing. You know, it's like people that the Olympic and, and they're doing the performance on ice skates and I'm saying, wow. Um, it's amazing, you know, what they can do, you know. And how did that happen? It's practice, 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 and repetition, repetition, repetition. It's just amazing what athletics and what ice skaters and what skiers and what basketball players and football players, what they can do. It's It just amazes me. You know, it's, it's like bigger, faster, stronger, and it's hard to believe. What draws you to watching Tom Brady? I mean, obviously you can't watch him play football anymore, but what what attracted you you to him as a player? I just think that he is an athlete that has tried to be the best that he could possibly be, and he he does it through exercise, through studying exercise to studying throwing the football to <clears throat> he's just an amazing athlete but yet there are so many so many amazing athletes out there that they can do so many things you know you know it's it's getting to the point where you know you just can't wait till the next highlight you know it's interesting, though, because even in athletics, there's, like, that flair, right? That that energy that attracts you. You know, I remember watching the movie 42 with jo- Jackie Robinson, right? And just the way that he would steal a base, he just had that energy, that desire to do it. And it made people want to watch him more because he was going to steal the base, you know? Well, he was cocky, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, he was a cocky athlete, and and he he would he would intimidate the pitcher, you know, because he would just take a couple of steps, you know, towards second base, and it's, it's psychology, you know, the psychology of winning. You know, I watched it on the radio, mm-hmm. because back in that day, I never really saw it on television, not even black and white. But I heard it on the radio, and I watched it on the radio, and it was amazing. You know, Joe Lewis, you know, hitting a couple of jabs and a, and a bright cross to the to the head of whoever the opponent was. And, you know, <laughs> it takes me back to the moment of right now where life is not a spectator sport. You know, I used to listen on the radio and watch it on the radio, but I don't really watch it now anymore, you know. I don't know why. Because life is not a spectator sport. Maybe because you've done it so much. Maybe. But I think that's a good place to end. 
Thanks for listening to us. Like and share our podcast. And we'll see you on the radio. We will see you on the radio again. Next time. Right. Thanks for listening to the Hoops of Life. Hoop, hoop, hoop.